Comrades and friends, uh, before we kick off today's show, I wanted to make a statement regarding the situation in Palestine. Uh, I'm old enough to remember when Israel could fairly be described as, in the words of Missouri State Professor Dean Bajalan, a plucky democracy. Uh, Israel was under threat by autocratic regimes in neighboring armed states, Egypt, Jordan, and so on. Uh, for the most part, agreements have been reached and border threats even in the north from Lebanon have been mostly neutralized. I'm old enough to remember when worldwide public pressure made apartheid in South Africa untenable. While Reagan vetoed the Comprehensive Apartheid Act in 1986, the veto was overridden in Congress and sanctions were imposed. While the administration of the state of Israel is clearly apartheid by its most basic definition, uh, separate laws and rules for classica classifications of people, there is no one-to-one -one analogy to illustrate what's going on there perfectly. Uh, Professor Bajlan, who is a historian and an expert in Middle East nationalist movements, describes it like this. Uh, while the situation for Arabs within the Green Line borders is more akin to Jim Crow in the U.S. South, the situation in the West Bank is more like colonial Rhodesia. And, of course, the military blockade of Gaza is commonly and correctly called the world's largest open-air prison. How did we get from a state of sanctuary for the victims of European pogroms founded by many socialist thinkers to a state ethnically cleansing neighborhoods? Well, it's complicated. Uh, but what isn't complicated is the situation as it exists today from a moral standpoint. And I wanted to play a clip here from our late great comrade Michael Brooks, um, explaining this when asked a question on this topic at Lafayette College in February of 2020. Are you not concerned about the binary between either condemning Israel entirely, um, being like also a stance that a lot of like very strong and notorious anti-Semitic people agree with versus like, you know, seeing this as more of a complex issue where it is wrong what's going on and that there's also a way to do this that Israel still exists and is supported? So, or is so it's not a complex issue. That's the big thing. It's super simple. There's one group that has enormous power. It's the most powerful country in the Middle East. It's backed by the United States. It acts on another population of people with total impunity and is never held accountable for anything. So there's no symmetry in the relationship, period. And just as like a thought experiment, IDW people, if we know that if somehow a population of Jewish refugees ended up in West Bank in Gaza and an Arabic government in Jerusalem and Tel Aviv had an open air prison in, in what, you know, Jewish Gaza, which they bombed with white phosphorus, they killed civilians indiscriminately and they had no uh, provisions for medicine, they had an embargo that blocked food, that the electricity wasn't running, that there was an over 48% unemployment rate, life expectancy and malnutrition statistics were horrifying. The, uh, one of the major uh, policy makers in this hypothetical Arabic-Palestinian state said, we need to put those Jews on a diet. In the West Bank, there was another Jewish area where there was a little bit more autonomy, but there was regular Arabic settlements where they pulled up the Jewish farmers' foods, they terrorized them with rocks, the security forces broke children's bones, and they couldn't drive their own roads. We'd all have no problem understanding what that was. So there's nothing complex about it. The second part of your question, it's, it's a pure asymmetry relationship. And the question is rights or not. So that's it. It's not complicated. The second part of your question, at this point, there's always been, there's always going to be crackpots who are anti-Semitic who condemn Israel. 
That's not what drives the movement, particularly in the United States. If you work around most people who are concerned with this issue, it's actually populated with a lot of Jewish people. The real question we have to ask is why is it that APAC is hosting a information minister for Slobodan Milosevic? Why is it that there's relationships between the Israeli government and far-right parties in Europe? Why is it that Benjamin Netanyahu's son is posting borderline alt-right memes? Why is it that Israel is an alt-right state, even though it is from the descendants of the victims of one of the greatest crimes in history? That's a serious question, and that's inseparable from the racism of the project, which goes back to the first part that we have to solve. In the shadow of Rockford Tower, in the belly of the Delaware Beast, this is your Highlands Bunker podcast. Today we have podcast crew, the inner circle, if you will. We have Ty Greer, Jess Grain, and super producer Carl. We're all going to be sitting down and, and taking a moment to share uh, memories of a real OG and a, and a friend of the podcast we lost, Governor Pierre P. DuPont. We're all going to tell our stories about that. We're, we're we're not doing that. Oh, is that what I'm here for? <laughs> uh, I, I, I was trying to throw oh, I'm that prepared. on. Yeah, like <laughs> I was like, you don't want to tell stories about about how how P two Pont was everything and and everybody pines for the days of P two Pont. I mean, he created a wonderful usury state that we all reside in. Yeah, so yeah. we could talk about that. <laughs> uh, you know, fuck fuck P two fuck all the Duponts. Um, no, we're going to talk minimum wage today. We're going to talk to minimum wage legislation. Uh, we're going to walk through Carl's very thorough explainer that was published in the Delaware Call. Uh, and then we have what everybody loves. We have a Delaware online reading series for you. Uh, there was, unfortunately, and as expected, um, a lot of stuff to choose from that is not good, folks. Not good. Um, so, how, how you all feeling today? I mean, not great. <laughs> Hasn't been a good week. No. Uh, <laughs> not trying to bring it down or anything, though. <laughs> no, it's it's been pretty rough. I saw one one piece of good news. Maybe we'll save that for the end, and we'll put a little cliffhanger because it was one like little bright spot. Um, if you guys saw something that happened in in Glasgow and Scotland um, yesterday morning, um, that was something else. But we'll we'll save that to the end. Um, let's, let's go, let's go and start, uh, taking a look at, at, at Carl's work here, because I think it's going to important, be important to track this, this, uh, minimum wage in the Delaware legislature through the process. Um, so we know what the pressure points are. Everybody who's doing advocacy understands what the issues are, who we're pressuring and where this thing sits, because, um, again, it's, it's crucial that we do this. Um, but. Uh, I mean, it's the Delaware legislature. You got to hold their hand, hold their feet to the fire. You know, you got to create a ruckus and drama for like anybody to do anything. So I hope everybody um, is going to read this piece and, and sort of listen to this conversation and, and get involved in, um, you know, getting this done um, so that we can get some people, you know, a little bit of a, a little bit of a, of a fair wage. So they can live their life. Um so, Carl, you gave a little history to minimum wage. You want you kind of want to walk through like um, the Fair Labor Standards Act and what and then how that sort of developed into Delaware's wage, and also the history of sort of changes in Delaware. So, and, and like bring us up to where we sit today. 
Yeah. So for those who do not know, the Fair Labor Standards Act was passed back in 1938 as a part of the New Deal. It was sort of one of the, the later things that came on, um, sort of near the end of that, before the build up to World War II. But it's at the major thing that's relevant to this, uh, and I don't know every single aspect of it, but it ensured an actual minimum wage. And this only affected um, a small number of people. So for those who know a little bit of constitutional history, all these things used to only apply to things dealing with interstate commerce. And then eventually that legal definition expanded, expanded because everything's related to interstate commerce. If you buy or sell anything, it's going to cross state lines at one point. Um, so initially, I think it was something like 25 cents an hour. Uh, and that was like very big back then. But throughout the 40s, 50s, 60s, that expanded to who it covered. It expanded in sort of its definition of a living wage and for a while, it was actually pretty decent comparatively, uh, at least certainly to what it is today. Uh, but the last time that the minimum wage, so after the 60s and 70s, it started to stagnate a lot. And the last time that the minimum wage was raised federally was in 2009, which bumped it up to 725, which is what it is today. Um, so here in Delaware, the minimum wage was raised slightly in 2014. And then it was also raised again in 2018, and that was the most recent increase, and that raised it to where it is today, which is 9.25. But uh, for those uh, Delaware wonks, you might remember that at the same increase, they also created the youth and training wage, which was a, I think it's 50 cent uh, decrease for people who are under the age of 18 or people who are in their ninth, first 90 days of work. Um, so basically, it was a concession given to Mike Ramone to make sure that he voted for the budget that year. Um, so, and it was a shame. It was bad. It was not very good. It was, um, folks. It was not good. Not good. But the funny thing is, you know, 2018 that was a good year for Democrats. Added a few more House seats, a few more Senate seats, and in 2019 we saw the first $15 minimum wage bill introduced in Delaware by Senator Darius Brown. But it was introduced in May of 2019, and. It made it, I think it made it to the Senate Labor or Senate Econ Development, whatever it ended up being. And then it got stuck in the Senate Finance Committee, which is the one that deals with the budget. And it stayed there forever. So that bill died in committee in 2019. And now in 2021, we had these big wins in 2020 in the primaries, got a few more Senate seats in the for Democrats in the Senate. Uh, so SB 15 was introduced back in March, early March, actually just like five days after Chris Coons and Tom Carper voted against the $15 minimum wage at the federal level. Uh, it was introduced with every Senate senator co-sponsoring it. So every Senate Democrat co-sponsored it. Uh, so it passed through the Senate like that. And then it went to the House. And even though it has 19 House co-sponsors out of the 21 votes needed, all the people who aren't co-sponsoring it, all the Democrats that aren't co-sponsoring it are basically the people in charge of whether it lives or dies. So it was initially assigned to the House Econ Development Committee, which for those who don't not know, that's just Ooh. the business lapdog committee. So it's chaired by Bill Bush, who is probably one of the more conservative Democrats in terms of economic issues. Uh, he held it up for a little while, for about a month, but um, eventually it got a hearing. And we'll talk a little bit more about the activism that we've been doing around that. But uh, it actually ended up being voted out of committee um, with every Democrat voting it out of committee, which we were not expecting. 
And then Woo-hoo! since then, so this was like late April, it's been sitting in the House Appropriations Committee because just a little bit of legislative stuff. So if a bill is going to cost the state any amount of money, it needs to get what's called a fiscal note. And the fiscal note says, okay, how much money is this going to cost the state over the next five years or so? And if it costs more than $100,000, then it has to go to both the Senate Finance Committee and the House Appropriations Committee, which deal with the budget. And because the state pays so many of its workers under $15 an hour, uh, it would cost over $100,000 over the next few years to increase the minimum wage to $15. So it had a fiscal note, so it has to end up in the House Appropriations Committee, which is chaired by Bill Carson, who is probably flat out the most conservative Democrat in the House. Um, and he needs to schedule a hearing, he needs to vote it out of committee, and then it goes to the House floor, and then it's voted on. So this is the sort of long, endless road that leads us to where we are today. Yeah, and I just want to point out two things. One is the obvious um, procedural roadblocks that are installed in the House by the person who manages the House, ex-cop Pistol Pete. And not only that, but those those systemic um, tools that Carl described, they're also obviously staffed by the boss who puts them there. And just so happens that the two committees that this has to go through are th- are, are 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 headed by, you know, just two you know reactionary Democrats. Um, so you know that that's not a mistake. That's 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 set up is is designed to do what Carl's describing it to do. It's not like it's it's not uh, you know it's it's not by accident that 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 the two chairs that Carl uh, identified are the the most reactionary conservative. Yeah. So to be a bit more specific about like what that means, so the speaker is in charge of yeah most things in the house in terms of where they're put and also who's in those positions. So it's not inevitable that. Um, well, a few things. So it's not inevitable that Bill Bush would be the chair of econ development and that Lumpy Carson, who is, that's what he goes by. I'm not making fun of him, um, is chair of the appropriations committee. Like that doesn't have to happen. That was a choice that Pete Schwarzkopf made, or at least Pete Schwarzkopf and Val Longhurst and Larry Mitchell, the other members of leadership. Um, and then it also did not have to go into house econ development at all. So this is kind of getting to the, the thing I wrote, and this is all getting the thing I wrote, but there is 13 people in the House Economic Development Committee. Eight are Democrats, five are Republicans. Two have voted against $15 in the past, and that's Andrea Bennett and Bill Bush. Luckily, they both voted out of committee, but if they had both voted to keep it in committee, it would have stayed there and died there. Um, however, in the Senate, it went through the Senate Labor Committee and the Senate Finance Committee. It didn't really matter either way because everybody was a co- every Democrat was a co-sponsor, would have gotten out one way or the other. But there's a reason that it went through the Senate Labor Committee, which is way more pro-worker than, and then the House Econ Development Committee, which is way more pro-business. It could have gone there's in the House a, Labor Committee. There's a message committee. in that choice. Yeah. yeah you think? <laughs> yes, the Schwarzkopf could have put it in the House Labor Committee, which is 10 Democrats and two Republicans, or it would have gotten out in a week. But he chose not to do that. And he chose to put these people in these positions of power and as we know now, he has publicly come out against the $15 minimum wage bill, at least as it exists. Yeah, and, and I think it's important. To, like, you know, I know it's a little wonky and it kind of gets like inside baseball for everybody. But yeah, I mean, this is how you take what really is a popular uh, piece of legislation um, and and 
and create the and create the idea that there's a lot of arguments against it because you can you can slow play it and and leverage just different powerpoints and so this is how this works so i'm sorry to bore you with this uh Carl, Carl actually made some really dope uh, like graphics that you can look at that sort of explain um, this, which is which is pretty cool. So I, I definitely want people to take a look at that. Uh, but before we move on to like the current status, would somebody like to explain the the insidiously named for an insidious thing the tipped wage? Would somebody like to explain that? What that is? <laughs> Ty, I see. Hi, you want to talk about that? That's a fun one. <laughs> Jess, I think this one would be better for you. Okay, We've okay. had this conversation yes. before. So. I have had this conversation. <laughs> I have been a tipped worker. Um, I'm going to get the value wrong. Tipped wage in Delaware is $233 an hour? $223? Yeah, it's right, it's right around uh, it's right around two and a quarter. It's something like yeah. penny. $223. Yeah. $223. Okay. 223. Wow, I mean, I was, I was, I was giving people a dime they didn't earn. Look yeah, at this. Can't believe you're giving you're giving a dime. Jeez. dime away. My bad. Yeah, so obviously that's lower than our state minimum wage. A tipped wage is a way that employers are allowed to pay their workers even lower than a state minimum wage um, with the assumption that their tips make up the difference. Sometimes that's true. Sometimes it's not. What you'll hear when you actually talk to tip workers is that a lot of people don't realize that their boss is supposed to make up the difference if they don't make minimum wage um that's like news to people that most people kind of just think their check is garbage sometimes you get a zero dollar check from your actual employer because by the time taxes and, and everything are taken out there's nothing left there um so basically anyone who's working for a tip wage is not being paid by their employer they're being paid by the patrons of that restaurant or whatever it might be. So the employer is essentially getting away with not even having to pay that employee to be there and to do that work. Um, what also tends to happen is that when you work for a tipped wage, it gets um, that that need to make a minimum wage gets spread across all the hours that you work. So if you had a Friday where you did really well in tips, and that gets that that's in the same week as a Monday where you did really poorly in tips. You don't get the money for Monday when you didn't make minimum wage. It just evens out because they take basically that money from Friday and it pulls your check up high enough that you actually, quote unquote, made minimum wage. So you're fine. So it's a way that we have shifted the responsibility for who pays an employee to patrons and off of the business that is keeping all of the that that excess profit, um, even though they are the people who are actually employing that worker. Yeah, and I know in in the way that the legislation is currently, and somebody had to check me, there's still going to be a tipped wage, but they're going to uh, they're going to do what they originally did when they created it, and and tie it to like two thirds of the min of the minimum. Which you know we'll we'll then which is bring what it, up. it used to be, which was what like in the nineties, it they broke that connection. Our our general assembly it used to be sixty uh, two thirds percent. Got rid of the calculation. Or, yeah, sixty seven percent. And then in nineteen eighty nine, they passed it so that it was just a flat rate, and then that's what it's been ever since nineteen eighty nine. Which is why it's so absurdly low. Um, and this bill would only yeah it would only bring it back to sixty five percent. So even that is 
problematic, but that still 65% would be triple or quadruple what it. Right. Yeah. I mean, Especially if, if it passes, if it passes, if the $15, 15 minimum wage passes, with then it's 15? Like 10, yeah. that's like $10. Yeah. It's more than that actually. Cause that's two. Th- yeah. It's a little more than that. Um, so yeah, that's actually, that. I mean, that's at least, you know, at least it's, it, it's not scandalous. I mean, it's still awful. I mean, and there's a very, a, a very, you know, a rule of thumb that I always use and tell people that, you know, that <clears throat> since the minimum wage at the federal level was set at seven and a quarter, seven and a half, whatever it is, the, 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 the production of this country and the stuff that we, that we make and serve and do has gone up inc- an incredible amount. And if you were to pin the wage on production, the minimum wage should be like $21, $22 an hour. So that that value is going somewhere. So, you know, when when the when the landlord of your apartment building just bought a new boat, that's why that's you know, that's why your boyfriend at, at his job is making two two twenty five an hour plus tips. Like it's not complicated. You know, that's that is what's happening. And we're gonna get to something later on that's going to uh, going to show how people are getting scared that like the stupid stuff they say when they get scared like this. But before before we get there, we want to uh, sort of sort of finish this off. So, um, Ty, do you want to talk about a little bit of the organizing aspect and tie it into and, and again maybe Carl can uh, talk about too sort of um, who we're targeting now that it's it's in these committees and and what the you know what we're trying to do to get this to the floor. Um, some of the, I know there's phone banking going on. I guess you guys can even go out and do a little more canvassing now that the world seems to be opening back up again. Uh, but yeah, give us a little, uh, a little review of what's happening on the organizing side. Well, on the organizing side, well, first of all, I just want to shout out, we've had a, quite a few new organizers step up and like are really getting out there in King County. So let me see, we have Adam and Susan and Bruce. like they're really stepping up in getting out there in King County. So King County is not used to seeing people knock doors, but guess what? They're out there. We're doing it. We're doing it. So we've been going out and having people sign little postcards saying that they support it and we're sending them out to there. We've been phone banking, um, doing this on a weekly basis. Um, a lot of different um, groups are recognizing the work that the Working Families Party has been doing. Woohoo! Go ahead, Delaware Working <laughs> Family Party. Um, and they're like really making people aware of what's going on and how this stuff goes. So I think it's really important because people are starting to ask questions. I know when I was out there knocking doors, they're asking, they're like, well, does this person support it? And I think it's really interesting to see that people just assume, why wouldn't they support this? Mm-hmm. Oh, funny you should ask. Um, <laughs> but I think it's really good because people are starting to see that the people that just because somebody's a democrat or just because somebody is says that you know that they've been elected by the people that they don't all agree on things and i think before in the past people just let it slide die the average person just let it slide by and act shocked when this stuff didn't pass yeah or it's easy to like blame procedural stuff it's easy procedural to be like stuff. oh yeah. it was opposed by republicans it was opposed by yeah. this like their favorite yes you know, it's it's and you know you can't blame people for not being able to be plugged into this stuff because it's hard to get accurate information about what's going on down there it's hard to make time when you have to work two jobs three jobs to actually be able to afford to live so 
Yeah, it is awesome that so much up. work. Yeah, yeah when you had to, to work two jobs. <laughs> when you had to work two jobs, one's nine dollars an hour and one's two twenty five an hour plus tips, and you can barely yeah. get thirty five hours right. a week. And you have right. two kids, and you're trying to fucking put them, figure out where they're going to go. You can't follow what the, you know who got assigned as the chairperson of the fucking economic. Exactly. Like it's not, you know what I mean? That's right. why I'm you're just in survival to, mode. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that, that's why you know I'm so glad that for every you know few people that we're able to bring in and really sort of um, get engaged with the, with the organizing and the canvassing and the phone banking, especially in Kent County, like Ty said, where it's sort of unheard of for people to go and do any kind of issue campaigning, really. Um, so people start to get, it's, it starts to get into the conversation. Um, and, you know, and then hopefully some of those folks or people who know them will, will feel like that, they they can get some joy if they organize together, uh, and they can they can make some pressure if they organize together. Because yeah, I mean, I, I I completely understand why somebody would not have the time or the energy or the headspace to do any of this. Uh, but people are doing it. You can get engaged, uh, and we we could actually do this. So, um, is there any scheduled? Uh, do we do we know when these two committees are going to or when they? the house committee is going to hear this if they're going to. So, yeah. So we do not know the date for the house appropriations committee. We were kind of hoping it would be next week, which by the time you're probably hearing this, it's going to be this past week. Um, but unfortunately, so we're recording this on May 14th. Um, the week of the, um, what would that be? The 16th. Week of the 16th, they're going to be in session, but then for two weeks after that, so the last week of May and the first week of June, they're going to be in budget drafting. So we are not going to have any chance there, but the second week of June, so the week of June 6th, we're hoping to get an appropriations committee hearing. Um, and then most likely, if that happens, it'll be up for a flow of vote the following week, which would be the week of the 13th. Uh, and we only have until June 30th for this to pass because that's when the legislature ends. Uh, so we're in a bit more of a time crunch than we were hoping, given this started all the way back in uh, March. But as I said before, so in the House Economic Development Committee, there was two people who did not co-sponsor the bill that were the chair and vice chair of the committee, um, Bill Bush and Andrea Bennett. But we've been doing this since early April. And so we were out knocking doors in their district. We were out making phone calls in their districts. And when we were not certain that they were going to do it before, they never said publicly they were supported. Bill Bush said publicly he doesn't support it. Um, we put enough pressure. We uh, we sent dozens of postcards, uh, made like thousands of calls, uh, got you know hundreds of people to contact their legislators one way or the other. They both voted out of committee. And we could do the same thing with Bill Carson. If we organize, if we knock those doors, if we make those phone calls, we were knocking down in the Dover part of the district. This weekend, we're starting the Smyrna part of this district. We're knocking these areas that no one has ever talked to before. I'd say that may be a little bit hyperbolically, but not that by that much. Like these areas do not get people knocking doors. Um, but you know what? I've, I've made the phone calls. I've knocked the doors. I can tell you when we talk to people, they support the $15 oh minimum God, wage. It's I mean, it's shocking. been remarkable. I, I had, I'm sorry to interject there, Carl, but it blew my mind because I was making calls and I was getting connected to like, genuinely elderly people who you know i feel like always get this bad rap of like wanting to be regressive toward younger people and they were like 
so supportive, actively wanted to make calls, wanted to reach out and like, and were baffled by the idea that people could be surviving on $9, 925, whatever. Like it was this broad base of support from like the one kind of person in the 20, in his 20s who I got to talk to and all the way through every other kind of generation of people just being like, yeah, it, this is far beyond time to do that. And and I didn't have a single conversation with anyone who didn't agree and want to make a phone call to their legislator to to push on it. Yeah. So every Tuesday and every Saturday, we are out knocking doors. Every Wednesday and Sunday, we're making phone calls. So we're going to put the links in the description for all this. But yeah, we're out there every four times now every week uh, doing something in these districts. And we're going to continue to do that until this bill's passed. Um, the other thing I didn't mention that don't want to get too into because we don't really know any specifics yet is there's been a big push to amend the bill. So the bill as it stands right now, which maybe we should start out with, but it's basically, it's a very simple bill. It raises the minimum wage to $15 by 2025. We were hoping for more in it, but that was what was introduced. It's kind of what we're rolling with. Uh, it should be $20 by 2025, if that, uh, but it's what we have. Um, so now there's people in the business community, that means Schwarzkopf, that means Bill Bush, that means the Delaware Restaurant Association, which I think we're going to hear a little bit from later. Uh, the Chamber of Commerce, who we're all, I know we're definitely hearing from later, uh, they are all doing this to push amendments that either delay it, that exempt business, certain businesses, exempt restaurants, all sorts of things to water down this bill. And that's going to be probably introduced in June. So we don't know what it's going to look like yet. But another big thing we need to do is just make sure that we're aware of that and that we are raising the awareness about that and that our legislators who even may support $15 minimum wage don't end up um, watering the bill down just to make a few business owners happy. Can we put, can we remind them that, that there's going to be a whole <clears throat> re-election coming up soon? Yeah, I, everybody's I up for re-election really, in 2022. That's a really great point. <laughs> every representative, every yes. senator, every 10 years, we have everybody up. So it's time. And we are watching you. We, we know mm -hmm. we count the votes. That seems to be something that yes. no one is able to do. But counting votes, it's what we do best. Uh, you heard me listing off random numbers earlier. We do that for actual votes, too. So keep an eye out. Yeah, and I, I wanted to kind of draw people's attention to like one specific thing like people who would vote something out of committee and then not um, and then it comes to the floor and and they and they and they somehow they they lose their they lose their nerve you know um this is why this kind of pressure calls two days a week canvassing two days a week getting more people involved counting votes look uh, look people know that this group that's on the phone here counts votes and knows how to get people elected like we will fucking I'm serious. I mean, we it, we should it should be pretty clear by now that we're not playing around. So so uh, let's let's make it happen. And, uh, you know, let's get involved and, and stay on stay on these people, because I'll tell you, they do not like uh, pressure. They do not like drama. They like it easy. They like the easy road. Make it the hard road. And that's what that's what that's what everybody's out doing every week, every week. And I want to remind everybody, since we have the fabulous Jessica Rain on the phone. The King <laughs> County, you guys showed off for Jess, okay? You did. You showed off for her. You, you you had signs out. You know, when people were calling, they knew who Jess was and everything. So you guys know how to do it. Let's do it. You know, let's do it again. Let's show our King County that they're not allowed, because in the past, this is my opinion, by their voting records that are public, 
that I think that Kent County has been caught. They've been they've been using them, the Kent County legislators, to 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 kill stuff. You know, because they don't get the pressure that the, the ones up north do. Well, guess what? The pressure is here now to stay. <laughs> so you guys are going to have to do what you get elected to do. Your job, represent your people. Yeah, absolutely. Folks, you absolutely love to see it. So now let's 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 segue into uh, one of our favorite things to do. Um, talk about a, a news journal article on Delaware Online that's just it's just ah oh, it's magnificent. So this is from our friend, my sincere friend Sarah Gamard. Um, there was a lot to choose from. Um, Isabel Hughes, we're watching you. Your article was also shit. But we talk about the cops. We don't really care. This ties in. Plus, I felt bad. I don't really know Isabel Hughes like personally, and so it was a little bit, you know, I didn't want to go at her as hard as I probably would, considering it was about cops. But that's another bad one. Maybe we'll do that one next week. But this is uh, Sarah Gamard, uh, May tenth, so last last week. This does a classic. This is a classic, and I know they don't write their own headlines, but this is a classic uh, Gannett News Journal thing where they ask a question in the headline. That does not get answered. Why Delaware companies are struggling to fill jobs one year into the COVID pandemic? Hmm. Well, that seems like an interesting question. What do we want to? I mean, I've already given it away that, that we don't get an answer. But so here's how it starts. As more people get vaccinated and return to normal life, the economy is expected to bounce back thanks to demand for activities that were put on hold during the COVID-19 pandemic. But with that increase in demand, many businesses say they are struggling to hire workers. This phenomenon is essentially the reverse of a worker shortage, according to representatives in the Labor Department. There are still a plethora of jobless people to choose from, with more than 31,000 people still collecting unemployment from the state. But businesses, are un but businesses with unfilled spots are unable to find them. Hmm. Okay, that's the, that's the question, folks. Where are they? It's a hide-and-seek thing. Where are the people on unemployment? <laughs> Where are they? How can we find them? What's happening? Hmm, that's interesting. You have a job, but they're not they're not applying for the job you have. Okay, let's, let's keep that seat that in our minds. What we are hearing, and this is a quote from uh, Rachel Turney, uh, she's the deputy secretary of the Department of Labor. What we are hearing, of course, are a need for workers to fill unfilled jobs. The workforce is here. Okay. And then here, the here, paragraph. <laughs> here we go. The pandemic era unemployment system could be contributing to the lack of job seekers for low paying positions. Thanks to Congress extending unemployment benefits and the state of and, and the Department of Labor halting the requirement that beneficiaries act, actively look for work on unemployment. Okay. All right. Let's 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 look at that. The pandemic draws closer to an end and businesses and business restrictions are lifted. Demand appears to be rubbing up against the continued government assistance given to jobless people who were laid off due to the virus. Something the Office of Occupation and Labor Market Information Chief Thomas Doherty says is unprecedented. Well, it's definitely I mean, there's a precedent. There's a precedent. I mean, there's, I think uh, there's some precedent for uh, people like refusing to work. So there's like a word for that. Uh. <laughs> so, so, so again, here we go. We, we have there's people out of work. They're getting benefits from the government. But people have jobs that these people aren't applying for. Could it be the money they're getting from the government? Will we find out? Let's see. <clears throat> businesses struggling to hire 
could raise wages in order to compete with unemployment benefits. He's he said what? <laughs> well, wait, wait. This is the this is good. <laughs> this is good. So here's Darty. This is a quote. When you have the wage going up, you also attract more workers to either enter the labor market or attract them from another industry, maybe attract them from another state, Darty said. This is the kicker. If I'm making such and such money from unemployment insurance, I'm reluctant to take a job that pays the same or less. Such and such. That's a very accurate term, don't you think? So let's so let's let's figure that out. Let's 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 do in our mind. Let's let's work it out. So if we wanted to if we wanted to somehow estimate what we think such and such is, which I think is important given the ridiculousness of that quote. What is the maximum uh, unemployment a week in Delaware? Does anybody know? Four twenty-five. Four. I, I think, think it's, it's four hundred twenty-five. I think it's four twenty-five. So it's four hundred. But Before now remember. Tax. That's and and the 425 is the maximum number. So if somebody gets laid off and they're a professional person and they were making 1500 hours a week, right? They get 425. Yeah. Now, if a person correct. Now, if a person's on on if 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 it's a worker that we're talking about trying to get a minimum wage increase for or a tipped worker, they're not getting 425. Nowhere near. They're probably getting 200 bucks say. Uh, maybe less after taxes. So they're getting, say, 150 200 bucks a week. Now, as it explains in this article, the Congress has said, because of this pandemic, that maybe getting 150 bucks a week is probably not enough. Uh, we'll give you an extra $300 a week until September, I think it is, right? $300. So it's, so it's not actually such and such. That's not accurate. The accurate term is for somebody, you know, if we're going to estimate it, the accurate term is about $450 to $500 with an extra $300, which is the extra. So it's a, it's so so just to be clear, people are reluctant to take jobs that pay less than that a week. So it's it, you know, let, let's be real clear. These jobs are horseshit. You have to go list. You have to you have to kiss people's asses who who breathed their, before there was COVID, breathing unmasked shit in your face, and you have to kiss their ass for for two dollar tip. So because your fucking boss only pays you two dollars an hour. Now maybe if the if the three hundred dollars is keeping them from working that job, is the problem the three hundred dollars, or is the problem the job? I I I I I I give it I give it to you. So yeah, I talked to somebody yesterday. Yeah, I talked to somebody yesterday this week. You know, I get my days mixed up, and she was making twelve twenty five an hour. Whatever reason, got laid off, and her unemployment was eighty eight dollars prior to the three hundred. So she gets three eighty eight a week. So I just wanted to just throw it out there, like literally, if she could find a job, which you know. It could pay more than three eighty eight a week. I'm pretty sure she would take it because I, I mean three eighty eight a week is not a whole lot of money. But well, still above our minimum wage, though. If you're working full time, yes, it's still just, more than our minimum wage. So I figured it out because you know what? I'm a nerd. So <laughs> yeah. it was nine. That's nine seventy an hour. Okay. Right. So that means that you all you have to pay is ten dollars an hour. You're making more than the minimum what the unemployment is. So that's not too hard. Right. Yeah. And you're still poor. And you're still struggling. 
So I think that the, maybe where the problem is the job. That was my. That was my. <laughs> well, you well, would, and, one one would think that if you're going to ask the question why that you would sort of cover some of this, uh, but it's not covered. Anyway, go ahead, Jess. I'm sorry. Well, I, I mean, even aside this, like you're getting unemployment. I mean, first of all, that 388 a week, like that's not even covering rent in a lot of places in this state. Like that's you're you're not sitting pretty on unemployment. No one ever is this idea that people are comfortable because maybe they got a sixteen hundred dollar check and maybe they're getting three fifty four hundred dollars a week is insane. Like that is not enough to live on and to be comfortable and to have a dignified life. But I also just think like there's this level to this that I almost think gets ignored when you just boil it down to like people who get an unemployment insurance and that's all they, they care about and that's all they want. They don't want to work. Like, can we think about what we just went through in the last year? As soon as shit got hard, you laid off your people. Thank you. You fucking walked away from the people who were willing to work your shit job. Or maybe you laid off a bunch of people and you kept some people and you forced them to work through a pandemic with not enough people there to support them. And then you laid them off anyway. Maybe like, and you want these people to come back. Like, where were you for them? And you want them to come back. Like, I would not come back if you laid me off. I would be really thinking about who it is that I'm going to work for. And what it is that I'm willing to take to do that work. Because you have, I think a whole lot of people recognized even more broadly than they already did, the lack of security that comes with any of these jobs and how disposable you can be seen, whether that just is being laid off or your boss not even valuing your health and your life. So you are asking me to come for 925 to risk my life? Like who want, who will do that? Exactly. Yeah, I need to say, do you know how many angry, how many fucking people died? No, in the service professions, in the restaurant workers, they died. They literally died. Hundreds, like (laughs) maybe thousands of people. Like, if you go to like, I mean, SEIU. If you talk with like SEIU, like how many SEIU workers died? Like UFCW at the chicken. chicken, (laughs) Like, remember like Sussex County a year ago? What was going on there? Mm-hmm. when like people refuse to go to Wawa's because they might come in contact with like a Hispanic person because they assumed mm-hmm. that every worker at those plants had COVID. COVID. Like, remember that, like, that's a song that for some reason never gets mentioned is yeah. What you were talking about, like the last year in terms of just, not just the material deprivation, but the literal death disregard, cult. complete disregard for humanity. And like healthcare workers, you know, I'm going to have to go there for healthcare yeah. workers. Because we were, they volunteered to be a testing site and didn't volunteer to get us any mask. We didn't have any sanitizer. Like all the things that we were trained that we were supposed to have. Now, see, if you worked at Wawa or Walmart, you may not know no better. But see, I've been in the healthcare field for 23 years. So they were asking us to do stuff that went against every training, every certification, any other, any other job. Had we done those things, we would have been fired and lost our licenses or certifications. So you were asking us to do these things with no regard. The reason why I got laid off is because I refused to expose my patients. I was tested positive still. Oh, you don't have a fever. They, I worked for 12 hours a day at that job and went home and did the billing for four hours every night. Oh my God. They told me that there was no work for me to do from home. 
funny. I'm the only billing person that you have. The other person isn't billing certified. I am. Okay. You didn't, because you wanted me to triage patients knowing I was still testing positive. They didn't care. You mm. don't have to tell them. No, really? No. Okay. Yeah. So these jobs are trash. They don't care about the people working in them. Why am I going to try to jump back into that? Like I, retail, you get an eight hour shift, you get a 15, you get a 30. Those are the only times you can sit down. Like, <laughs> you're at a restaurant. It's slow. You're literally not making anything. But as we said, you're making $2 and 20 cents. If you lean on something, someone's up your ass. If you're not wiping down tables, even though you've wiped them down five times, someone's up your ass. Like, the conditions in these jobs are shit. The pay is shit. Shit. Hmm. You are treated as completely replaceable. Your humanity is not even considered. I, I can't imagine why people don't want to go back to those jobs. And then as soon as somebody gets the slightest ounce of leverage and basically, mm -hmm. you know, there's for the time being, you're making, you know, 388 a week. It's not enough to cover rent, but it's... Mm -mm more than literally nothing, which is what most people get, because there's so many reasons that people just don't get unemployment when they, you know, either get laid off or fired right. or quit. Um, so you have the most base level of leverage in this situation, and suddenly it becomes a national crisis. Right, right. That's what this, right. this is. I mean, we've, I mean, I think we've all seen a million stories like this That's from what this is. various local outlets and national outlets over the last month or two. This is people, people, this is people trying to use the bit of power and leverage that maybe they have had for the first time in how many years, and it's corporate capital smacking it back down and getting national coverage to say, no, 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 we're going to make sure that people who are on unemployment don't have any, if they reject any job, if they have a sniff at a job, we're going to boot them off these benefits. Like, it's disgusting, the reaction. And yeah, we get that to hear some see. of our local local heroes who are pushing yeah. that line it's disgusting yeah i i it's i we talked about this with uh with judge kuhn on when we talked about the paid family and medical leave and just the pushback you know again the business because the they have all the control so they can suck off of their uh you know out of their employee uh however much they you know they can and so when they lose any of that control or there's this outside factor that's now creating some leverage on the other side of it, uh, yeah, they've gone completely – these small business tyrants have gone completely mad. And, yeah, it, it's, it's, it's actually pretty clear, as you said, what's happening, but let's continue here. Yeah, I'm so, sorry. We, we derailed, Aaron. No, that's great. That's, we got to derail. <laughs> you gotta, sometimes you got Sometimes you got to derail. Uh, Democrats in the General Assembly are trying to pass a $15 minimum wage, gradually raising it from the current 925 over the course of the next several years. But some business representatives, such as the Delaware Restaurant Association, which, report, which uh, reports restaurants across the state are suffering from the hiring issue, oppose the measure. The Department of Labor does not collect data on job openings or unfilled positions, but the jobs are increasing in Delaware with 2,900 new jobs between March and January, according to Darty. The state added 2,300 jobs in March alone with 1,000 new jobs in healthcare and 600 in construction. Overall, the state is still not back to pre-pandemic levels. Here we go. Some chains are trying new hiring incentives. Wawa, for example, is offering a first time, uh, the, for the first time a $500 bonus to each new hire. Wow. 
I mean, it is. Look, it's. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna poo poo five hundred dollars. But let's be. We're, you heard the. But again, if you had some context based on based on the numbers we were talking about about like what happens to real people, like if that context was in here, then that line would, would in context would look absurd. But 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 there's nobody, so many of these lines that come off as like a joke, and I don't know if they were intentionally meant like. That and then there's well, we'll we'll get to it later, but some of the lines from the DRA uh, come off as yeah. legitimately like comedy. Well, here's the right. they're not meant Rob, that. your point. Your point though, Rob, of of uh, whatever De- Secretary Doherty, whoever his name is, like using such and such, it 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 glosses over. It allows someone to fill in a value. It allows someone to think maybe these people are making two thousand dollars a week on unemployment, and it it it. It unmoors the conversation, and we don't hear a voice that actually says, "I'm making three hundred and eighty-eight dollars." Like, right? It, so all you heard so far is that the guy from the Department of Labor said they're making such and such more, and that Wawa's offering a five hundred dollar bonus. Well, if you knew what such and such was, you, again, you would have more context. But it, 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 here we go, because I there's a, there's a couple real doozies in here. The Department of Labor plans on reinstating the work search requirement sometime in the summer, according to, Depart- according to Labor Secretary uh, Carol Hubbard, right? That's her name. Uh, her department uh, has heard concerns about unemployment benefits hindering hiring efforts. So she's heard concerns. Yeah, I mean, of course she's going to hear fucking concerns in the chamber. Anyway. Have any of you been on unemployment? I, I was. I have. I, I have, yeah. yeah. That work search requirement? Oh, my God. It's like, a joke. Like, I mean, I, I I was on unemployment. My job was in New Jersey. So I had to go to New Jersey and I had to physically show up and take courses. And like, because they were like, well, you must not know how to write a resume. You're unemployed. You must not know how to like behave in a professional setting. You're unemployed. Like you have to show us how many jobs you've applied for. You have to give us the names of the people you've applied for. We can call and check up on that. Like you are treated like you are a complete grifter. And the fact that they have given people a moment during a pandemic when uh, there were no jobs to not be searching for them and maybe just like stay healthy. <laughs> and now we're just like, ah, eh, we're going to throw that back on you. The, the idea <laughs> is to, the idea is to make sure you're desperate enough to, to just you're, exactly that you're gris- to take whatever shit job the Delaware restaurant association is offering you. Yeah. It's, this, it's like, again, it's like state, sanctioning your oppression. So here's the first one. And and again, this is the labor secretary because they've been hearing some concerns. So here it is. <clears throat> this is great. I don't know whether the data bears this out, but we have heard from some of our stakeholders that they Love have that. concerns about uh, uh, unemployment. So what okay. are stakeholders of the Department of Labor? Can we define those? No. Can we get a follow up? Oh, 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 we don't know whether the data bears it out. Can we get a follow up? Well, here's the next. <laughs> maybe maybe this will answer your question uh, indirectly because the next paragraph is the federal government said employers added 26, uh, 266,000 jobs in April, well below expectations. And the U.S. Chamber of Commerce blamed it on an extra 300 hours a week in unemployment benefits. Anybody so want to explain what the U.S. Chamber of Commerce is? I mean, it's basically like a union for small business owners yeah it's the guy the guy who owns the guy who owns three car dealerships in tuscaloosa alabama that's that guy's lobby um so so you're saying that unions are bad jess oh i'm just saying they're very powerful and they can support their members yeah that sounds very good yeah there's power in a union i think it's pretty effective obviously they're spreading 
<laughs> spreading literal lies and people are just picking them up and running with them. Yeah. Across the state, restaurants in particular are facing a lack of job applications with existing staff unable to fill the gaps. It, it's expected to only further impede the already grueling process of the industry recovery after the pandemic forced massive layoffs. There is an all-out crisis when it comes to workforce recruitment right now, said Carrie Leishman, president and CEO of the Restaurant Association. We are not able to recruit at the pace that we need to keep up with demand that the public wants to go out. Okay. Pause there. I love this. I know. So what's, what's a potential solution to that issue? Think about it in your head. Okay. And then mm. read the next sentence. <clears throat> she does not think that restaurants should raise wages to compete with unemployment benefits. <gasps> there yes. it is. Quote, <laughs> all small businesses are paying wages higher than ever to attract and retain talent. It's higher than ever, guys. So you want to know what it's, it is? It just keeps going up and up. <laughs> The hours, the line goes up, just like that. Unbelievable. Just because people want their treats, because people want their treats so I know. fast. I mean, you're listen, not getting me I my love... hamburger fast enough. <laughs> I mean, do I love going out to eat? Sure, but do I think that people should be subjected to like shit wages? Like this, just it's fucking gross. I mean, even just like the demand of the public that wants to go out, it's like framing it that way as like there are wealthy people who have been fine through this and they want to go out you need to get back in this restaurant and serve them like that is literally what they're saying marge wants her eggs benedicts god damn it yeah oh yeah, oh yeah yeah exactly for 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 250 an hour marge wants her fucking eggs benedict chop fucking chop right right so they say higher than ever and, and then the next <laughs> and so this is where i give the article a little bit of credit so like this, this is, they, this they is say the only... higher than ever, and then yes. they go into the next paragraph. Yes, and this is the one part where where we didn't get a lot of sort of analysis in the beginning of what that could mean. Here we do. So in, in, in her defense, we, we do get it here. Hourly wage data from the Department of Labor show that leisure and hospitality businesses were on average paying about $1.17 more an hour in March of 2021 compared to March of 2020, which is the latest data available. The data does not specify how many of those businesses are restaurants. Right. I mean, no restaurant is paying more than the minimum tipped wage. I, I, maybe one. Like, find me that restaurant. Is, has, you would hear about it. Right. And, and you're talking <laughs> about, so, so uh, yeah, and, and it's $1.17 more in the whole, in the whole hospitality. Right. $1.17, 40 hours a week, which that's a big assumption right there. Yeah. Um, would be an extra $46.80 per week compared okay. to the, say... 388. But even if, okay, let's assume get rid of the uh, $300 from the federal government. So that's $88, which is nothing. And even that is more than the increase that they're trying to do. Exactly. Interesting. This, this next one's my fit. This next one is, is, is a, is a um, you know, it starts out well because she says people looking for work could be avoiding restaurant jobs because they are seen as unsafe during a pandemic. Source. Could be avoiding. And then it says some. Indicative that we haven't talked to anyone about that, I guess. Comma. Some labor officials surmised. What the fuck does that? I mean, they're just yeah. like, hey, I mean. Again. Like, hey, this maybe. is literally like, who's. What What phone numbers do I have? Uh, <laughs> so I'm just going to talk to those people. Uh, when yeah. you know a worker? <laughs> <laughs> Can anyone find a worker? We have a. Uh, 
We're gonna we're gonna just Carl will put something. Well, actually, in here if go, you go back to the beginning of the article, you'll note they um, were unable to find them. We were unable to find the workers. We can't hold true. Uh, yeah, this is an all points bulletin. All points bulletin. Uh, all, every every <laughs> car. seen a worker? Uh, has anyone seen a worker? <laughs> Can we need one worker? We need a worker, potentially uh, someone uh, at, at a restaurant. Yeah, come on, come on. Uh, yeah, I mean, we get we get some good ones from. I, mean, I think it's also kind of interesting that this is very restaurant focused. Like, it does feel very much like this is about giving the Delaware Restaurant Association a chance to like talk about the problems that it's facing. Like, I mean, do we talk about? retail do we talk about any other jobs it, it's very interesting that it, it's so heavily focused on restaurant work yeah i mean there's a there's a little bit here um for like what you would call like uh you know like a high-end like skilled trades whatever um so there there's there's but 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 still it it it, it doesn't get to the it doesn't get to the action. It's 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 basically the. Uh, I'll read it. Delaware is also suffering from a trend that was not caused by the pandemic, but perhaps accelerated by it. Industries such as skilled labor trades and tech are struggling to fill jobs because there aren't enough people with the skills to fill those positions, according to uh, this guy Michael, president of the Delaware State Chamber of Commerce. Uh, you've got a, this huge skills mismatch. This sounds like learn to code, boys. This sounds like learn to code. We're gonna get on, get on the, the coding only train. Is ben Dupont's coding academy. Get yeah. on, get in fucking Ben Dupont's coding academy. He taught, he taught my one cousin to code, and my other cousin died of heroin overdose. Um, <clears throat> we can't build enough tech people with tech skills fast enough, and we have to do it in it order built? to remain campaign. Yeah. Build? Okay, I'm it's sorry. I'm sorry. Hold up. Giving away the game. Hold it back. We can't build enough people. <laughs> Jesus is there something they're Christ. not telling us in terms of their uh, technological know, like, advancements? Hey, Are we doing like uh, Blade Runner here? Yeah, uh, going forward, the st- I, 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 I can't. I mean, there's a. Uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna skip forward. Going forward, the state will have to change its culture around the traditional career path and secondary education. Oh, I no wait. I love this. Hold on. I love this. I love this because what this is saying is that people don't want to work. Or people want to be gig workers. So your traditional job is not appealing to them. And again, I go back to the way that even like professional workers are treated. Like, show me a job with a pension. Show me a job with like (laughs) real good actual benefits. And like that you can stay in and be rewarded for staying in for more than three years. Like this idea that the traditional career path is not what people want is because that traditional career path no longer exists. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, I was lucky. I, I worked like, uh, you know, professional managerial jobs. I, at least I started when they were still good. Like, I mean, you could still, you know, you could still make money. You didn't feel. But I mean, but they're not they're not that great. Like if the money's good and the and the and the and the and the, uh, the benefits are good, that's that's good. But these, I mean, everybody's a fucking contractor now. They just hire a bunch of fucking contractors for six months and then f- they don't get any benefits and then they fucking let them all go. Right. Almost half of workers now um, aren't necessarily individually gig workers, but almost half of workers are involved in the gig economy right now. Right. It's absurd. Yeah, but they frame it. But this is framing it as if like. We got to keep up with what these workers want. And it's like, that's not what people want. That's what they've been forced into. 
Do you don't think people want like stability to know that maybe they can actually like live a good life and not have to worry about what's going to happen every six months? Like it's framing it. And I get so mad because I'm a dumbass millennial and I feel like we always get blamed for like millennials don't want this anymore. And it's like, no, we're just recognizing that we have value. <laughs> like that we are not, we are not just human capital stock. And, but there are no, there is no leverage in the workplace at, at all, if there ever truly was, to get any sort of respect and any sort of renumination in a way where you feel like you should stay in a job. Yeah, there's absolutely no examination of the fact that the, oh, the pressure has only ever gone one way. It's, we're going to keep your wages down. We're gonna, you're gonna be at will employment. We're gonna bust any union. We're gonna bust any union you try to form. We're gonna make you uh, just work for tips, basically, or we're just like gig workers. Uh, I mean, literally, restaurant car. workers are gig workers at that point. Correct. <laughs> like, <laughs> um, you know, we're not gonna give you uh, in in retail and restaurants too. Uh, I, I, this probably is changing now because nobody wants to work there. But like, you 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 didn't even get some some weeks you get twenty hours. Some weeks you would be off this day when you were oh, supposed yeah, to be off no. that day. They never give you like they never give you any idea. No consistency. Of no consistency work. And, you or you're on it. call. How about being on call? You're just on call for a retail shift. Yeah, there's no be there's no benefits. Um, you don't have a paid time off or family leave, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So you go, and then what happens is you, the the small business owner is incented. They're given all the control, and then they're incented with tax breaks and 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 they and setting up LLCs uh, to to you know to be like a little tyrant, and and and. And over years and years and years, that's built up. And the COVID thing has now, because of this $300 a week supplemental for six months, which is all it is, has broken open this huge hole. But nobody wants to look at it and be like, oh, that's, that's me. I actually did that. Like, no one wants to take responsibility for grinding people into the dirt. And just taking every advantage because they, they they think that they earned it. They think that, that that's their right, their birth. They they should be able to exploit labor as their birthright. Yeah. Well, and there's no like, there's I absolutely mean, no examination of that at all. No. Or this idea that, um, you know, I'm going to talk about the Internet. I, I, like, tweeted something about this idea that, you know, if anybody finds a suitable job, they have to take that suitable job and get off unemployment. And, like, maybe the idea of what's suitable has changed. And what is acceptable to people has changed and should change. And people were like, time off, that paid time, like PTO, paid leave, safe conditions, good wages. Those are perks that you get if you're a good worker and you're a skilled worker. And it's like, well, maybe they're not anymore because actually your, your market, you people love to talk about supply and demand in these markets. Well, guess what? The jobs you're supplying aren't in demand. <laughs> and maybe this idea... That these things are just perks that you happen to get if you are in some way qualified is no longer acceptable. And these are the things that people actually need to survive and they need to be provided. Like, but that's not the conversation. It's people are greedy. People just need to get back to work. Like, it, it's so frustrating to see even other quote unquote workers talking about unskilled workers don't deserve those things. And it's like, what the fuck is unskilled? Like, 
Like, it's just a word that we've decided to use to try to differentiate ourselves. Like, oh, well, I'm a skilled worker, so I deserve everything that I get. Like, it's just yet another way to sort of divide working people and have them see themselves as different. That's exactly right. And I think I just want to add that, like, a lot of these businesses are getting PPP loans or whatever who are laying people off. And they're expanding their businesses, opening up new restaurants and stuff. And then they still want to pay people peanuts. Um, People in healthcare who are skilled workers who have to be certified or licensed. When I tell you the number of people that I know who make less than $18 an hour with student loans, who have health insurance deductibles, $5,000, $8,000 a year, who are paying out of their paycheck every two weeks. So really that $18 an hour is nothing dollars an hour. There's taking them below minimum wage because they're skilled. Now, not to mention, I know lots of them who don't even get that much and make less than $15 an hour. Don't even have the option for health care. So this isn't a skilled or not skilled. This is a greedy versus treating your fellow human as a decent person. Exactly. People who work and work hard 40 hours a week should earn a living wage. Period. Well, let's 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 cap this off with some good news. Ready? We'll take we'll take ten minutes. I don't know if you guys saw this story or not, but I'll I I did, and I think it's fucking cool. This was in the Guardian yesterday. I'll read it from the Guardian because that was where I first saw it. Uh, this is uh, the Scotland correspondent Libby Brooks. Glasgow protesters rejoice as men freed after immigration van standoff. Hundreds of people surround vehicle men were held in and chanted, "These are our neighbors. Let them go." Campaigners have hailed a victory as Glaswegian solidarity and told the Home Office, you messed with the wrong city, as two men detained by the UK Immigration Enforcement were released back into the community after a day of protests. Police Scotland intervened to free the man after a tense, day-long standoff between immigration officials and hundreds of local residents who surrounded their van in a residential street in the south side of Glasgow to stop the detention of the men during Eid de Fair. Eid Al-Fair. <coughs> oh, uh, Eid Mubarak, everybody, by the way. It was yesterday. Um, staff from uh, the Immigration Enforcement are believed to have swooped on a property in <laughs> Pollock Shields. I mean, it is. It, it, look, it's Scotland. It's okay. Um, early. Look, these people are dope. I, look, they can't, you can't understand what they're saying. They are speaking English. It rains all the time, but it's, it's, it's just. It's it's cool, but hey, at least they love their neighbors. Yes, <laughs> by mid morning, by mid morning, a crowd of about two hundred protesters surrounded the vehicle, preventing it from driving away and chanting, "These are our neighbors. Let them go." With one protester lying under the van to prevent it from driving off. I'm just overwhelmed by Gla- I'm just overwhelmed by <laughs> Glasgow's solidarity for refugees and asylum seekers," said Rosa Salah. Uh, shouting to be heard over the jubilant shouts of refugees are welcome here. She added, this is a victory for the community. Uh, and it was, it was, it was beautiful. Uh, um, I found out today, I think one of the guys, they, they were Sikhs, I think. Um, it, so they weren't even celebrating the Eid, but um, yeah, it was, it's, it was just such a beautiful uh, spontaneous action that everybody did together because it was just the right thing to do. Because it was two men that they knew that lived on their block, and they had li- they had lived in in Scotland for I think ten years each, something like that. Um, you know, they have different sort of legal statuses, um, but there's no reason to menace these people. There's no reason to send them away. There's no reason to pay somebody two twenty five an hour. There's no reason for any of it. And if we if 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 we come together and we keep that in our mind, uh, we do not have to let it happen. 
So I don't know if you guys saw that story. I was just yeah, I, no, I need, as you said when we kicked off. I was like, it was a bad day yesterday when I saw that. I was like, oh, like a little. I know. Rude. I started. I started the pod in a weird place. I'm Ooh. sorry. I mean, you're right. <laughs> it's, been a, it's been bad. Real bad. It's been a grim week. No, I mean, and I think it's such a good reminder that like you have to do these things on these small scales. You have to do these things like with your neighbors, with your community. You have to know your neighbors, and you have to care about them, and that's the type of thing that i don't know i think that will that will be a stronger community for this and that that is what you build out of so you have to find these things that you can kind of come together and and support each other through and build on um yeah no i I hope that they don't come back for them i mean you know like i hope that this is long lasting and that it it these people can live their lives i mean I don't know, the way that we treat refugees, asylum seekers, immigrants in general, whether it's here or anywhere, is horrific. So to see people actually stand up and say this is inexcusable and we're not going to stand for it is, is, you're right, it's uplifting. A rainbow. (laughs) And that's what, you know, that's why we'll leave it. Because if if Ty's going to draw a rainbow, we'll leave it there. Um, Thanks, everybody. Uh, Once again, Patreon.com slash The Highlands Bunker. Um, Highlands Bunker on Twitter. Uh, follow us. The next time we speak, and this won't be out beforehand, so it's fine, but I hope I, I hope to see all of you good folks on Sunday uh, as we rally for uh, the, 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 the occupied Palestinians and we rally for the, 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 the protests that are getting put down in Colombia. Um, as Jess said, it's, it's, been a, it's been a hell of a week uh, for people who um, are basically not even considered people. Uh, they're just ignored. They're not mentioned. Um, there's no reason why this is happening. It's just how it's supposed to be. It's always how it's been. And so there's nothing we can do. Um, I, I hope that as horrible as the week has been, that uh, it's really turned people on to the fact that there actually is something we can do. Uh, we have to do it because this is not, um, you know, life's worth more than just like letting this go on like this. So. Well, thanks, everybody. I really appreciate you jumping on. I love you guys. Solidarity. Yeah. We love you, poor. I'm glad <laughs> I get to see you all. Yeah. Well, I'll see you all soon uh, here when we open up and do the cookout in a couple of weeks. I know what? everybody on this call will be there. I'm ready. I'm backed up. <laughs> ah, me too. Double <laughs> stick. Double stick. <laughs> Left all is right, best, guys. everybody. Left is best.